Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy right here, right now, I get to speak to arguably the greatest deathmatch wrestler of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy right here, is, he's won Tournament of Death. He's, he's won the king of the deathmatch. Here's the one. Here's the only Mr. Drake Younger. How are you, sir? Man, I'm incredibly blessed and grateful to be here. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm truly humbled by the introduction that you gave me, man. I'm excited. No problem, sir. It's just really exciting to talk to you. Uh, I've had a lot of you know uh, other deathmatch legends on the show as well, so I really like talking to you guys because you guys have such great perspective on the business, and I think a lot of people out there actually aren't aware of the perspective that you guys have. So, uh, and, and it's not just a deathmatch wrestler either, Drake. You, you've done quite a lot of other things in wrestling, uh, but Drake, the first question I always ask everyone on the show is, how did you become a fan of pro wrestling before you got in the business? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just kind of a caveat to what you were saying about uh, the guys in the deathmatch genre. You know, it's it's so common. I hear everybody's like, wow, these these crazy deathmatch guys are always like generally the nicest people outside the ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. But uh, across the board, I mean, even back in the day, we heard that quite a bit. So uh, to get to your question, how did I get, how did I become a fan of professional wrestling? Uh, look, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I was born in 1984, and that was the year that Hulkamania started. Uh, January 23rd, 1984, Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik, Madison Square Garden has been in, in the rest of history. Uh, and so I grew up, you know, in the 80s in that rock and wrestling era, um, and then into the 90s with the new generation and, and you know, uh, guys like Brett the Hitman Hart, and then a little later down the line, I discovered ECW and Sabu and then discovered the Japanese uh, King of the Deathmatch tournaments on VHS and stuff like that. So, uh, look, you know, I was just in front of my TV every Saturday morning, like a lot of us kids were in, in, in America growing up during that time. Um, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Sunday evening. I mean, it was just on all the time. Um, and so I was just, you know, captivated by these larger than life characters that were on TV. Uh, and then whenever I had the opportunity to actually go and watch shows live and in person, that's when I really fell in love with it because, you know, these guys are they're in front of you in real life. And um, I grew up in a middle-class family, certainly weren't wealthy by any means, but anytime that wrestling came anywhere within a three or four hour radius, they always made sure we had tickets. Um, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, the old Market Square Arena. I went to a lot of shows there. And then I was actually um, in attendance at WrestleMania 8 at the old Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, where um, Bret Hart defeated Roddy Roddy Piper for the Intercontinental title. Um, and I think that's really made me want to make the, even as a eight-year-old kid, what made me want to make the transition from being just a fan to like, hey, I want to do this when I grow up. <laughs> Awesome. I love hearing that story uh, from everybody I have on the show because it's it's a charming story and the bug bites you 
when you're uh, of that age and it never leaves you. As you said, eight years old, you knew then. Uh, you, you did mention a little bit about ECW there. And, and how, did, how did you first come across things of like that nature, like hardcore wrestling, obviously ECW, but when did you first come across like deathmatch wrestling? And, and, and what was it that kind of made you feel like that was, I don't know, the, the genre of wrestling that you wanted to kind of primarily uh, work within? Yeah, I, I first discovered ECW in 1995. Uh, just flipping through the channels, like, you know, staying up really late at night over at my dad's house, and, and and came across like wrestling. And but it wasn't WWE. It wasn't WWF. It wasn't WCW. It, and it like had this like punk rock vibe. And then like the I remember the Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck was the match that that was on TV. And they were like hitting each other with with sticks and throwing each other through tables. But like. It wasn't a disqualification. And so, like, I realized something was different. You know what I mean? Uh, it had that grimy feel. So, you know, that was my first exposure to it. And now going more along to the deathmatch side of things, first time I actually saw that was through the magazines that we would get here in America. Um, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you know, they would have some the independent roundup in the back back pages of their magazine. And they would talk about some of the some of the hardcore promotions at the time that were starting out, like IWA Mid-South and CZW later on in 99. But uh, we had this this really cool magazine that was only out for a little bit here in the States. I want to say maybe a year, if that. But it was called Wow Magazine. It was like full color, Matt. It was full color, a whole bunch of pages. And it was the first magazine that kind of took you behind the curtain and kind of broke kayfabe a little bit. But I saw pictures in there of CZW and it was the first time that I saw light tubes like exploding. And then I ordered an RF video shoot interview. And at the, at the end of those shoot interviews, they would show like previews of other stuff that they had in their, in their catalog, um, I guess, so to speak. And then they showed like a highlight reel of CZW. Uh, this is maybe 2000. Um, and it was like Justice Payne coming out of the ceiling and somebody getting thrown through a flaming table, Insane Dragon doing a 450 off the top of the balcony. Um, I mean, it was just like, what is this? Like, this is like, this is ECW, but even like crazier. And um, and then I got to see my first death match in, in person. Uh, 2001, went down to IW Mid-South. They were only a couple hours away in Indiana. Um, and, and, you know, seeing the King of the Death matches and, and saw Necro Butcher in person when he was first breaking it in and uh, Corporal Robinson, guys like that. So, and Madman Pondo, he was a legend, you know, still is a legend in, in, in our area and in the world. So when I saw it in person, I was like, whoa, this is like, this is exciting. And um, I think this is something that I want to do. Right. Awesome. I, I, I love that too. I love how simple things were in the nineties where uh, as a fan at uh, the charm of being a fan, the magazine, and you only get to see these pictures. I remember when we interviewed Thumbtack Jack on the show and, and he saw just these images of deathmatch wrestling in Japan and he was just so desperate. How do I find the actual footage? What do I have to do to find the video of yep. this footage of, of the still that I'm seeing in this magazine? And, um, I believe then years later, uh, people saw stills of him with uh, all the needles and things that he was using and people over in the US were like, how do we get footage of this? And um, it was kind of like a story like, coming full circle there. Yeah, when it came yeah to Jack him. and I made made some history together. 
<laughs> definitely. And I'm definitely going to bring him up later on. But uh, okay, there's a point in time you want to get into the business. How do you figure it out? How do you, what route do you go down to, to get yeah, into Yeah, so business? in Indianapolis, Indiana, there was quite a few independent promotions. We were very lucky that would have shows there. There would be, you know, OVW would have shows around there, but then IWM itself started running in Indianapolis. And then uh, there was just some other several, several smaller companies, but I went to a local independent show. I remember they, they advertised Abdul the Butcher versus Sabu. This is 1999. And we went to the event. Sabu was a no show, but Abdul the Butcher was there. And so, and we had, we paid like $10 and we had front row seats. I was like, Whoa. And I was like, there's only like 300 people here. I was like, this is okay. This is like really, I didn't think to myself intimate atmosphere as a 14 year old, but it, I was like this, you know, looking back on it, it was a really intimate atmosphere that really drew me to it. And, um, and I remember Abdul the butcher, they, they fed him a bunch of local guys and he was forking them up and they were bleeding, but it was like right in front of me. And then I saw this guy take a chair shot. I mean, like it'd be a big no-go nowadays, but I mean, just like a straight 1999 unprotected chair shot right <laughs> to the dome. And it was like right in front of me. And like, I felt the ground shake and I was like, whoa. And so like, I was like, okay, it seemed a little more attainable seeing dudes that look like, kind of look like regular guys, but they put on some wrestling gear and they look half athletic and they get in there. I was like, Hmm, I, me and my friends wrestle around all the time. Like I wrestle in school, like I'm pretty athletic. I was like, I could take some pain. I was like, I could, I could do this. I think I can. And so me and my friends started staying around after those local independent shows and we would like help them tear down the ring in exchange for tearing down the ring. We would, they would let us get in the ring for like a couple minutes and just do some moves to each other. It was like totally like super unprofessional, but that's how we <laughs> say it. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then it transitioned into me meeting um, a wrestler by the name of American Kickboxer. Um, he wrestled in IWM South, kind of a, a Midwest light heavyweight pioneer, so to speak. Uh, and so he started taking us around and, and we started traveling with him and he would train us. I mean, it was old school. He would train us before the shows. Um, we would go to Evansville, Indiana every Wednesday night. That's a part of the old Memphis territory with Jerry Lawler and USWA. Uh, we would go every Wednesday night to the Coliseum in Evansville. We get there hours early during the day. Um, and then he would he would have us run the stairs in the building, do our squats, uh, do wrestling class right there, take our bumps, uh, do more squats, more push-ups. <laughs> and then uh, and then we would be on the card that night, whatever we were doing, whether we were getting beat up by Necro Butcher or Two Tough Tony or whatever it was. Um, and then we do the, the uh, you know, 100, 150 mile drive back um back home and and i'd go to i was in high school i was a junior in high school so i'd go to school the next day <laughs> you know what i mean i was a big pro wrestler uh as as a junior in high school um and so again that's just really how it snowballed is just traveling with with kickboxer to those shows and set up you know set up early he'd train us early during the day and then we'd have a match at night tear down the ring and go on and then uh and then he when we were ready he linked he linked me up with Ian Rotten, um, and then we started. I started training IWM South, um, and then that's how the door opened there. So, and then throughout throughout my early years, you know, I would do I would do training seminars quite a bit. I did a training seminar with Loki and Two Cold Scorpio, and 
I drove 13 hours to Philadelphia and did one with uh, Brian Danielson and Kenta. Um, and it was funny, like years later, I ended up working with both of those guys in WWE. So I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of neat. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you for sharing. And, and I hate to skim through things too much, but there's so much I want to get into. And, uh, yeah, I believe, yeah, did you start getting, you got into the business in like 2002? Is that maybe around the year that it was? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's when I started. And it really started, really started kicking in the high gear 2006. Right. Cause that's where I was up to here with my line of questioning. Uh, the 2nd and 3rd of June, 2006 for my research, you work your first death match tournament with IWA Mid-South King of the death match, uh, working with Die Hard on day one. Uh, and then a barefoot thumbtack match with JC Bailey the following day. Oh, I don't know how people can do that one. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this is your first outing, you know, for, for a, a, a tournament. Uh, and the question that I always ask everybody uh, when it comes to these tournaments is the day of a deathmatch tournament. Is there an atmosphere in the air that is different from the usual? Uh, and what do you do to mentally and physically prepare for something like this? Yeah, well, I mean, at that time, I was just a young kid looking to get my name out there and looking to get on a DVD that was going to be seen around the world. And so I was willing to just do whatever. You know what I mean? Like I had not a care in the world and was just ready to uh, uh, put it all on the line. And, and and it paid off. It paid off for me that day as well. JC, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, we had a, a tremendous match and he really carried me through it and um, really kind of put me on the map with that barefoot thumbtacks match. But so, you know, my, my mindset as a, you know, 21 year old kid is different than as like a 38 year old man. You know what I mean? If I go around in, in the, that atmosphere nowadays, it's like, okay, we're going to tell a good story. We're going to be safe. But like, it has this warrior mentality. It really does. I remember in Japan, whenever I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, but whenever I you know was in those death matches in Japan, it really, you know, it has this like warrior kind of samurai type type mentality um, where you go in there and it's battle and you know what I mean? And, and like the fans revere it and respect it. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it does have a different atmosphere, especially those tournaments and like the old tournament tournaments of death where they were outdoors in Delaware, they had kind of almost like a punk rock party atmosphere to it. You know what I mean? As opposed to a show that's in a national guard armory somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah those TODs do look fun with you know everyone you know cooking the barbecue out there and all that yeah. stuff uh, and speaking of tournament death uh July 27 2006 TOD 5 uh, you go all the way to the finals three in one day um so <laughs> that, that, that that's that's a hard day at the office how, how do you oh, wind yeah. down after all of that adrenaline uh, and, and how do you go about recovering after a big day like that yeah and you know it's funny King of the Death matches that previous month is what got me booked for a tournament of death. Uh, Zandig saw me, heard about me, whatever, and then I got a message on MySpace. It <laughs> said, uh, hey, Zandig wants to book you for TOD. And so, you know, got my car and drove uh, to Delaware. It was 13 hours. Drove 13 hours to Delaware and uh, no guarantee. Had no idea what was going to happen. No idea what I was doing. How many matches I was doing. Nothing like that. Just just going on a wing and a prayer and a, and an opportunity. And, um, 
And then I got there and they're like, oh yeah, you're going to go to the finals. I was like, what? This is my first show here. Okay, sure. And so to me, I looked at it like, hey, I get three opportunities to go out and get over uh, and to show people what I got. And so, um, you know, that's something anytime anybody asks me about advice nowadays or the younger generation, I just tell them like, hey man, no matter what the tiniest of opportunities is that you get, just like do it to the absolute best of your ability. Uh, Whether you get like a a 10 second spot as an extra on SmackDown or whether you get a 20 minute death match at tournament of death, like go all out. If it's your opportunity, it's your shot, man, just, just, just go for it. Uh, and so that's what I did. And uh, kind of winding down from that, it's, it is difficult, you know what I mean? Cause it's so adrenaline filled, but uh, man, you just, you, you get kind of get used to it. You shower off, shower down. And uh, you know, my mindset and lifestyle then was much different. I was, you know, kind of partying and hanging out and stuff like that. So now I'm boring. I go to my hotel room, watch <laughs> wrestling and read and go to sleep. But like, you know, back then I was, you know, I was out with the boys hanging out. So, um, but uh, yeah, man, you just kind of, you kind of coast along and just that adrenaline winds down then you sleep on the plane the next day or whatever it is. <laughs> Another thing I always ask you guys, because uh, you know, there's always a lot of th- uh, light tubes and 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 thumbtacks, etc. Uh, your bed sheets, uh, even even the seat on the plane, you, you have blood seeping through because there's still <laughs> glass in your skin. Do, oh, I've bed made sheet many the, a hotel uh... made, Yeah, I've made many a hotel <laughs> hotel housekeeping staffs pretty upset. I'm sure. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember I said to DJ Hyde when I interviewed him that you should sell you should sell CZW bed sheets with uh, you know with uh, blood stains on it. So if you want to feel like a real deathmatch wrestler, get you can get the official bed sheet. Uh, (laughs) uh, One person, of course, I mentioned earlier. I wanted to ask uh, you about your favorite memories of working with the legendary Thumbtack Jack. Yeah. uh... When it was kind, of, it was really cool when him and I got matched up and paired together. That was my first time uh, wrestling internationally. Uh, first time getting a plane ticket to go, you know, out of the out of the United States to, and to go to Germany for WXW. And I remember, like, he is like so super creative. Um, he messaged me online, like, and he had the idea for the Saul death match. This is in. 2007 so the Saul horror movies were like a pretty big thing at the time and so um I had no idea about it it was his vision and I was like hey this this might be my only shot internationally so I was like might as well do something memorable and if he's willing to put his body through it then like hey I am I am too why not let's go for it and uh uh, and so like he was just really intricate and detailed in his ideas and, and the thought process that he had into the match. And so um, uh, that got a lot of people talking. It was a big hit as far as DVD sales and, and online revenue and everything like that. So people still talk about to this day, the, the solid death match. Um, and, and like, and look, I don't watch it. I, I self admittedly, I don't watch a ton of wrestling nowadays just because of, of my life and the time that I have. I certainly watch highlights and 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 drop in absolutely. I'm not gonna say that I don't watch any, but I mean I I don't watch a ton, but I do see like there's there's you know some guys these days that do the syringe spot and stuff like that. And look, it was ooh, 15 years ago, Thumbtack Jack was the first one to do it. You know what I mean? So uh, I, that, I think that's kind of a tip of the, like a tip of the cap to him. 
and like a almost a tribute to him when people do that these days. So yeah, absolutely. Jack and like just a great person. Yeah, uh, really, really just down to earth guy. Um, we wrestled a, g- a good few times, handful of times. We had a, a really like one of my favorites ever, and uh, you have to ask him about it too. But we had a Noro Barbar match in Germany. It's like sellout crowd, like big deal. This was uh, oh gosh, maybe two thousand eight or two thousand nine, something like that. And um, I want to say oh nine. Uh, and we had a, a Noah Barbar match, man. It was awesome. Oh, that one was really, really good because we were a little more wise and and developed and like uh, uh, had a better match than the Saul one, I thought. And um, and just you know when you have a Noah Barbar, that's just a whole another atmosphere in and of itself. Um, and then we had one in Philadelphia in 2010 as well, Panes of Glass. Uh, that was cool, like Drake and Punk Jack at the ECW Arena. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. So. Um, and then he was actually the special guest referee for my last match in Germany uh, before I went to WWE. So that was that was really neat of him to be a part of that uh, as well. And um, uh, I-, I tell you, when you're in the ring with him, and you're gonna feel it. You're gonna feel it because like he wears glasses, right? And when he uh, when he's in the ring, he's like blind as a bat. I think. <laughs> and, like, dude, when you're swing when he's swinging stuff, dude, you better watch out because it's coming. Uh, but like in all seriousness, uh, Thumbtack Jack, he's he's awesome, man. He's a legend, and uh, uh, I, I think he's gonna go down as one of the ones that people, you know, he wasn't in it for a super long time, but he made a huge impact for the time that he was. Absolutely. And I, I still keep in touch with him to this day. He's, he's just such a great human being. He's so nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is. Um, again, I've got to go to another tournament of death and I, I'm going to mention each match here. Every time I, I talk to somebody who won a tournament of death, I, I go through each uh, match and then ask you about your memories of that day. Uh, TOD 6, June 9th, 2007. First round win over Die Hard in a tables, light tube, and chairs match. Semi-finals, weed whack of rules, three-way with Danny Havoc and Nick Gage. And then uh, brain damage in the final, ultra-violent, divide-and-conquer 200, light tube, lumberjack death match. <laughs> uh, I, lo- I love these uh, stipulations. Tell me about this day and, and what appears to be you know one of your crowning achievements at that time of your career. Just the the names of those matches that you're saying are crazy. <laughs> Divide and conquer. That, that. Um, uh, so on, on that one, uh, me and Dustin Lee, we had something to prove. We we were, you know, he was just breaking in in CZW, and so I really wanted to, you know, that's a huge platform. A lot of people are going to watch it, and so we went out there and had like a really technical match, like in the confines of a death match. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. I remember giving the vertebraker on a slanted table at the end. So that was cool. Um, and then like, there was a really cool moment. I think that gets played a lot now and like highlight clips or I gave him like the, the Davy boy Smith power slam off the apron through a, through a light tube table, but the light tube table had thumbtacks on it too. So it was like <laughs> double death going through this. Thing. <laughs> um, so that was, uh, that was, that was a good one. And then, um, the second one, I think it was actually me, Danny Havoc and DJ Hyde, not Nick Gage. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, a lot of fun. Get the weed whacker DJ Hyde. So, and then anytime me and Danny Havoc got to touch, it was it was magic. It was a lot of fun. That guy's just he was. I miss him so much every day. He was incredible. Uh, finals was painful. 
really, really painful. That's where I lost my nipple almost. Um, when brain damage threw me through the light tube ropes, and then I, I kind of stopped myself and and uh, slid down on a broken uh, light here. I'm not trying to be, I think you can see it right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I almost lost the nipple. Uh, take me up in the middle of the match. And then, like, I had to take this this big, huge bump off the truck, off the, off the rider truck. Uh, through a giant light tube log cabin contraption through a table um, and then crawl back to the ring. <laughs> it was like king of the mountain type type uh, thing. But whenever I got in there and they declared me the winner, I was like, wow, this is cool, man. Like I won tournament of death. Like nobody will ever be able to take that away. I was like, just a year ago, I debuted here and now I'm a you know, tournament of death champion. And um, that really like solidified my CCW uh for lack of a better term, dynasty, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. The first one, you know, the, the, those few months around that time uh, when you, you, you you did your first King of the Death match and then you did TOD5, you know, that's kind of like the moment where you've uh, uh, been noticed. And then within the next year, you've now won this uh, big one. So this is the kind of star-making moment for you, which is really cool. Uh, and there was another deathmatch tournament I want to ask you about uh, because uh, I believe something went a little uh, awry here. Uh, December 1st, 2007, you competed in the third IWA Deep South Carnage Cup uh, where you wrestled a three-way against Viking and Wax. Uh, in the match, Wax dropped himself from the ceiling on you who you were on a table with light tubes on top. Uh, the shattering of the light tubes caused a big tear in your left ear to which you could not finish the tournament. Um, could you tell me a little bit about this moment? Yeah, no, he came down and then just like, uh, the match was over and I felt like the bottom part of my ear, like hanging off. And, uh, they were like, yeah, you gotta go to the hospital and get that sewed up. But, and so I remember like I was at the hospital and then, uh, that, that tournament, they had some bad luck around it because like I'm in the hospital and then all of a sudden, like I see Scotty Vortex come in <laughs> and then I see uh deranged or somebody come in it was like one after another come in with injuries <laughs> into this into this hospital in pulaski tennessee in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah that, i think that one uh that that one show was uh pretty bad for injuries um again from my research i could be wrong uh sometimes like just before when i said nick gage instead of dj hyde um your first trip to big japan was in 2011 uh, you would end up going back, I believe, four more times between then and 2013. Uh, could you tell me about those experiences? Yeah. So when they said we were going to Japan for the first time, it was cool because it was me and Danny having together. Like we were, we were on cloud nine, man, just like jumping for joy, because uh, that was the the goal, right? You know what I mean? Like, wow, we're going to Japan, and first night is going to be in Cork and Hall. Like that's even better. Uh, and so it was cool because it was going to be for that deathmatch survivor tournament. And, um, you know, I wanted to represent CZW, but just really wanted to go over there because they, for a while, they weren't doing any business with CZW and they weren't really bringing you know, foreigners over too much. And so I didn't want them to regret the decision. I, you know what I mean? I wanted to give them more than their money's worth. Um, and it was, it was a really cool opportunity for me um, and Danny Havoc to be a touring professional wrestler, like full time, you know what I mean? Because we're, we're doing four or five, sometimes six shows a week, 
you know, in a and we're in a bus and we're traveling throughout the throughout the country of Japan. Um, and that was awesome, man. It really was. The culture was cool. The wrestlers, I had great chemistry, especially with like Miyamoto and Takeda. Got on really great with them. Asami, Asami as well. Junkasai. Great chemistry, all those guys. Great matches with all of them. Um, it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun, and I was grateful for the five times total that I got to go there. Um, one one stretch, I spent like six weeks there, so that was cool. Um, you know, had some good matches with Edo as well. Um, and again, it's just a, a whole nother atmosphere where it's it's like revered wrestlers over there, the Deathmatch guys, they're revered and respected. I think in the States and other countries sometimes are kind of laughed at, like, oh, these guys are crazy. What do they think? Like there, it's like, man, they're on the cover of magazines and stuff. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. And another thing I usually ask uh, some of the guys that got to go over to uh, Japan was, you know, how would you compare uh, the American Deathmatch style to the Japanese Deathmatch style? That's a good question. So, um, again, I can't speak too much to the American style today uh, because it's it's different than whenever I was hot and heavy in it, you know, twelve years ago. Um, but I can tell you kind of the differences that 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 I saw. It, you know, it's kind of cliche, but there's a lot more of that fighting spirit over there as well. Um, and then and look, they're doing it more over there. Like in Japan, again, like I said, they could do four or five death matches in a week. So they're they're going to um, pace themselves a little more, so to speak. You know what I mean? Because they're doing it full time so often. Um, and, you know, like for instance, one one night we were in this little country town in in Japan, and and there was like there was no cameras or nothing. It was just a house show. And uh, Miyamoto came to the back, and he goes, "Oh, tonight, you know, low people, like you know, wasn't a huge crowd." He's like, "Yes, low people, like easy match, easy match." And I was like, "Oh, cool." I was like, uh, "What what gimmick are we doing?" And he goes, "Oh, one hundred light tubes." I was like, "That's an easy match? Like this is this is what you call an easy? You know what I mean?" He's like, "Oh, no, easy, 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 one one hundred I was like, "Wow, <laughs> it's just so normal to them." You know what I mean? Um, but. Uh, uh, it's really cool. And then just the working out in the dojo. So yeah, man, I, I think it's just the way it's structured as a little, is a little different. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you for that. Uh, again, another tournament. Uh, and this is the last one I'll be bringing up in this interview, Drake, uh, 16th and 17th of September, 2011, IWA mid South King of the death match, uh, round one against Neil diamond cutter in a, uh, fans bring the weapons match. Semi-final, uh, a World Series of Glass match against Mason Cutter. And then the finals, you win a 250 light tubes, tables, ladders, and no rope barbed wire match of uh, Devin Moore, Matt Tremont, and Simon Says. Uh, tell me a little bit about this day. Man, I, so the finals, I kind of almost, I don't want to say I forgot who was in it, but uh, that's pretty, like those names that were in there, that's really cool. Uh the match I had with Neil Diamond Cutter, there's some clips that still get played from that today. Like I gave him a gorilla pestle onto this pencil board thing, and, and <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it, it, that got a lot of play. He's dude, he's like he's blown up nowadays. He's booked like crazy all the time. So I'm really happy for him. That was when he was first breaking in. It's good dude, uh, you know, great heart, loves the business, and uh, you know, I'd like to think that it kind of helped ele elevate him that night, which was really cool. Um, 
same thing. I wrestled with his his gimmick wrestling brother, the one of the cutters in the second round. You know, with those World Series things, you're just you're just swinging to the fences. It's there's not a whole <laughs> lot to it. Uh, and then the finals again, that was a lot of fun. I got to come down with uh, with I think it was me and Devin Moore uh, in the finals, um, and a young Matt Tremont in there. So it was cool just to kind of uh, finally get that nod to win the win the King of the Death matches. Yeah, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And and and. and... As far as CZW is concerned uh, and your time there, I mean, I look at this stuff here. I mean, you've won, pretty much won all the, the belts uh, in all their tournaments. Uh, July 12, 2008, for example, you defeat uh, Nick Gage in a tangled web death match for the world championship there. You're in their Hall of Fame. Uh, you go in there in 2016. What does your time in CZW mean to you? It means so much to me. It's like it's, I think it's the proudest part of my wrestling career. I, I really do think it is. Um, and look, man, I've been fortunate to do a lot. CZW and IWA and then had a great run in PWG in California. And then, like, dude, I worked WrestleMania. Like, I did. I was eight years in WWE. Like, you know what I mean? Doesn't get any bigger than that. But I think I'm most proudest of my time in CZW just because for the simple fact that I came in there when it was a very transitional time for the company. A lot of stars had left. A lot of the originals weren't there anymore. Um, and so they really needed a new crop to come in and kind of pick up what was what was what was down. Um, and eight years of an incredible run there. Uh, and I was really proud to go around the world and be the CZW guy. Like I wore the CZW jacket everywhere that I went. Um, and, and to you know, have the trust of the company to have all those titles and those tournament wins and, and the Hall of Fame, of course, it means a lot to me. Um, and then just, you know, the longevity that I was able to have there. Uh, and you just got to see me kind of grow as a man and as a performer uh, and as a leader as well. You know, I came in there, you know, 21-year-old crazy partying kid. Um, and by the time I left there, like I was in I was in really good shape, clean and sober, you know, husband, father, all that stuff. And so uh, you really got to see me grow, uh, you know, in, in life and wisdom and stature and all that stuff. So. Um, and then I had the the privilege of, of working with so many great talent, you know, everybody from, uh, and what's sad, man, is a lot of them aren't with us anymore. You know what I mean? With Trent Acid and Danny Havoc and Brain Damage and J.C. Bailey and, and, you know, just the list goes on and on. It's just, it's really unfortunate. But, um, uh, and then I got to work with, you know, what I prided myself in in CCW when I was the champion and representing them is like, Okay, one one night I, I could be in a um, a no rope barbar match with with Nick Gage, right? And then like let's say the next show um, I could be in a tangled web match against John Moxley and Sammy Callahan, and let's say the next show I could be in a in a wrestling match with Sanjay Dutt, um, or then I could be in a two hundred light tubes match with with brain damage. You know what I mean? Like I prided myself on just being whatever the company needed to, me to be in the situation that was called upon. Um, and that's, you know, something that kind of, I try to stress to wrestlers nowadays is, is just, you know, be multifaceted, be versatile, uh, be willing to be called on the more roles that you can play, the better you're going to do. And the longer that your, your run is going to be, you don't right. necessarily, have, you don't necessarily have to get thrown through light tubes to do it, but <laughs> it worked for me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is a, a moment in time, uh, where you try out to, uh, uh, be a wrestler for WWE um, 
uh, and as is he prepared to say goodbyes to the independent circuit? Uh, could you tell me about uh, you know the, the experience of, of of the tryout and uh, from what I read, they offered you the referee role. Um, when they offer you that, uh, did you feel at that stage you were ready to step away from the ring? Yeah, so uh, the tryout in and of itself, those the WWE three-day tryout camps, they are brutally tough. Mentally, physically, um, I've heard from a lot of guys that have come in for the camps that it's, it's tougher than, than, you know, boot camp in the U.S. Army, U.S. Marines. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, very, very intense. A lot of conditioning, a lot of bumps. Um, you got to be on your toes all the time. They're going to try to mentally break you as well, at least – in 2013, you know, it might be a little more different now. Uh, but so, yeah, it was incredibly difficult. And uh, it was cool. It's like uh, Ricochet was in the tryout with me and him and I had a match actually at the Performance Center. Drake Younger and Ricochet wrestled in the Performance Center, had a had a really sweet match. So that was a lot of fun and uh, great experience. You know what I mean? I was like, hey, man, they brought they flew me to Orlando like I was a deathmatch guy and I got to be a part of this three day tryout camp. I was like, this is really cool. Um, and then Regal pulled me to the side afterwards and and he explained to me like the longevity piece. He was like, look, you've you've been through a lot with your, your body and all the stuff you've done in Japan. He's like, could you come here and be a wrestler in theory? Yes, you could. Well, we'd like to have you as that. Sure. But he goes, you might only be able to be around for a couple, two or three years. And then, you know, your run's done. He's like, but we really do have the need for a referee. I think with your knowledge and your experience, um, yeah, I think you can help out a lot of the newer people. And he goes, and you can learn a lot more jobs here and be of a lot more value to us. And like, I jumped on it right away. Like I was uh, absolutely could be it because I didn't have, um, I don't want to say I didn't have an ego because everybody in wrestling, they got to have some sort of ego because if not, you're not going to want to be successful. You know what I mean? You're just there to be there. Uh, but like I, uh, I didn't have any more that I needed to do on the independent wrestling level. I had done everything I wanted. I, I, I checked every box, you know what I mean? Like that I, that I wanted to do. And so I was like, let me just go in and be like, the best WWE referee that I can. Like, this is a new challenge. This is really cool. And uh, again, it was, I, I just, I love the business as a whole. So, you know, more behind the scenes stuff that I could learn, like my run there, you know, not only did I learn how to referee, I learned how to set up the ring, tear down the ring, fix the ring, maintenance on the ring, you know, drive the ring truck, uh, produce, I, I produce live television. I timed live television on, you know, Monday Night Raw and NXT and, and uh, learn how to, you know, I worked with the extra talent. I learned how to process payroll, process medical records and stuff like that. Just stuff that I never, like really good life skills that I got to learn there. Um, and that I wouldn't necessarily have been afforded that opportunity had I just been a wrestler. Right. Well, I did not know that. I didn't know you wore so many hats and learned so many different things. That's really cool. It must have been, you know, quite fruitful to, you know, it's a lot of people might be like, oh, you know, doing payroll, that must be so boring. But to me, I'd be like, that'd be so interesting just to learn about how the, that company yeah. does that thing, you know, yeah. it's such a massive company. Yeah, it, it was awesome for me because when I was coordinating the extras, they're independent wrestlers right and so like i came from the independent so i wanted to i know the nervous nerves that and the feelings that they have being a tv and you gotta like stand on the guardrail and like just be like this the whole time i was like hey guys drop your shoulders it's cool hey i want you to learn tonight have a good experience and then uh and look anytime that they uh that they would 
get beat up or take something crazy on TV. Like, uh, you know what I mean? I'd put in for a bonus for him just because, you know what I mean? Just like stuff like that. Just, you know, I really wanted to make sure I took care of the independent people. <laughs> right. Cool. Uh, another thing I want to ask, just kind of popped in my head then about a tryout. If, would you have any advice out there for any, uh, any young wrestler or even just a wrestler who actually has made a name for themselves on the independent scene is now finally after a bunch of years getting to do a tryout. Do you have any advice for anyone out there? Yeah, so if you've been at it for a while and you get invited to a tryout, just be prepared to do all the basic stuff that you, you think is second nature to you. Be prepared to do it, but do it hundreds of times over the course of a weekend because they're going to make you do a hundred, hundreds of rolls, hundreds of back pumps and all that and hit the ropes a hundreds of times. So like they want you to do the basics really, really well. Um, and then just make sure that because during throughout the whole tryout camp, there's so many cameras out there. So like you might be in line waiting to do your drill, but that's an opportunity for you to kind of show a little bit of your personality. You know, they want you to, to, to show personality and not be shy and not be timid, be respectful, but show personality. So don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone, get and, and think outside of the box a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the most important part of the trial, like it or love it, is, is talking, your your presentation skills, your promo, so to speak. So uh, just make sure you have some good range uh, whenever you're going to have the promo and stick to your times. Everybody loves a good professional that can stick to their times. Absolutely. And back to being a referee, uh, you know, what are, what are the best and what are the worst parts about being a referee in the WWE? Man, there was nothing really that was the worst about it. It was, it was incredible. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Um, I guess if you had to say something like you're the first one there at the building and you're the last one to leave, like if you're on the ring crew, but I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of took pride in that. So uh, you know, best, best part is you got the best seat in the house. You're in the ring, in the match with the, with the, with the talent. You know, I, I like to look, I like to think of wrestling like this. So like the, uh, the commentators, there are the wrestlers, they're, they're, you know, they're the musicians, they're, they're making the music. Right. And the commentators, they're laying down the lyrics, right. They're helping tell the story of the music. Um, the producers in the back, obviously, or the agents in the back, obviously, they're producing. They're producing this music. Um, and then the referee is kind of like the composer. Uh, so we kind of keep we kind of keep everything flowing. We keep the control of the match. And then, like, when it's time for us to step in and then we come in for that big false finish for that one, two, like, we're controlling – We're part of us is controlling the crowd, reacting off of what the, the talent – just did and so it's really cool just to have all these components work together in this machine to make some magic right and you did mention earlier that you <clears throat> got to referee at wrestlemania is that correct yes I call How a was that for you? several wrestlemanias right you got to do several of course uh tell me about that you know you you, you, you were there uh, 1984 is when you were born hulkamania big fan you made a name for yourself in wrestling and now you're, you're in the middle of a ring you might not be wrestling but you're, you're a referee you're in the room yeah. at a wrestlemania come on <laughs> yeah, it was incredible man i remember just especially the one in new orleans uh because there's eighty thousand people um and i'm in triple h's match and so like you know it's his music his the, the motorcycle comes down in like the camera wasn't on me, so I was like so like pumped up and like yeah, you know, <laughs> F yeah, F yeah, like this is awesome. And so like uh that was that one was really, really special. And it's just 
just taking in the aura and taking in the atmosphere and being like, wow, man, like I'm really here. Like I, like, man, made it, totally made it. Like, this is awesome. So yeah, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and then just like throughout the day, you know, WrestleMania has a whole nother vibe. You know, everybody wears their best suits. The catering's bigger. The arenas, obviously it's a big stadium. So people are driving around in golf cars or celebrities there. So, um, you know, just, that in and of itself is really cool. Yeah, because it's almost like a whole week long thing, and like you got yep. the Hall of Fame, you got, and now it's access, two days of WrestleMania. Access for the referees was kind of brutal, like because they would yeah. have the access matches would start on like Sunday morning. They'd be at like eight a.m. Right, so we got like after doing a takeover on Saturday night, probably not getting to sleep until like two or three in the morning. No, we gotta like take be the first ones down for the bus at 6 30 a.m. and then go over to wherever access is and make sure everything's set up. And then you know, sometimes we we'd ref like one day of access. I remember because we were short short staff. I mean, we ref like 20 matches each or something like that one one day. It was crazy because access is it's like four shows in one day. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a hectic time. Um, so in 2021, you leave the company and, and 39 days later, you're back in the ring. From my research, 39 days later, uh, was it an easy decision to make to just want to get back out there as soon as possible and get in the ring? Yeah, it was natural. And we and I did it for charity as well. And look, like I, I'm not going to go jump in full time into, into anything, you know, and um just because, you know, I got, I got, you know, business that I help run as well that, you know, do residential construction that keeps me busy. I got a lot going on with my kids. I got three children uh, as well. And so, you know, it's just at this stage of my life, I'm not looking to get back in full time or anything like that, but yeah, it was easy. It was natural. It looked, it's addictive too. I mean, it's, it's, it's addictive. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, it, CZW had, I think maybe they were on a bit of a break during this time period. Uh, but have they reached out to you at all to to do anything? Uh, I know TOD, the next one's coming up soon. <laughs> I think it's this weekend. Yeah. DJ uh, and I, I mean, we're, we're friends. He was really good to me. Uh, we stay in contact. Uh, as far as a working relationship there, I, you never say never. Uh, just not right. Not at this time. Yeah, yeah fair enough. But right now, uh, something else is going on. Yeah. Uh, your recent experience working for XPW, uh, I watched the show Halloween in Hell Three. Uh, you took on Hard Body, and and I, I and I'm not just saying it because you're on the show. I thought it was the best match on the show, uh, followed Thank very you. closely by um, um, Pagano and uh, Dirty Ron. Um, but the recent experience working for XPW there at the Derby Room in Pomona, uh, tell me a little bit about it and and. and where you see yourself going uh, forward with XPW. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. It was great to see Masada and Necro Butcher again and just meet some of the new guys as well. It's it's the atmosphere reminds me of old school CZW. It kind of has this punk rock atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like this underground vibe. It's it's great production. The production is really good and, and clean and everything, but it also has this gritty kind of uh, appearance to it. You know what I mean? In a, in a good way. Um 
a whole lot of talent. A lot of the people there are a lot tougher than I ever was, you know what I mean? <laughs> as far as the stuff they do in the ring, but uh, it was cool to work with hard body. He was really excited and uh, man, he's, he can go. He's, he's fantastic, uh, fantastic wrestler, uh, put out a great effort. And, um, you know, I really wanted to make it special for him as well, kind of elevate him as well, uh, you know, and, and look, I got a lot to prove or, I don't have anything to prove. Let me take that back. I don't have anything to prove, but me, myself, I feel like I do. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, I get inside my head a little bit. You know what I mean? With wrestlers, it's just natural that we do do that. And so I wanted to go out and show people like, hey, like I'm almost four years old, but like I can do this now better than I ever did before. And I can hang with these young kids and, and you know what I mean? And look, not to like bring up the elephant in the room, but like, the political scene in America is, is crazy. And a lot of people, you know, came at me for my political views and then other people's political views. And it's like, let's just like shut that off when we come to wrestling and just like, you know, look, we can have a story or whatever, but like, and let's just have some great badass matches. And like, that's all it needs to be. And I think that's kind of what it, what it felt like. And um, that was, it was a lot of fun, man. And, and just the new talent that's out there, they're really great. Um, and uh entertaining and like i said they're tough um and you know i've, I've signed on for a little bit for xpw don't who, who knows where it goes uh but it's uh it's definitely exciting and um yeah man it's just i keep getting drugged back into this <laughs> <laughs> once you think you're out they pull me back in yeah uh, <laughs> uh xpw extreme invasion on november 12th in new jersey uh kind of this is kind of like a bit of a, a dream match uh for deathmatch uh fans you take it on schlack for the xpw king of the deathmatch championship uh you gotta be excited for this one i am man it's gonna be a big fight it's gonna be a big fight so uh i think you know a lot of people are gonna be watching and uh, schlack is you know like the toughest dude out on the scene right now so um he is intense uh he's He's captivating when he's on the screen, people want to watch, you know what I mean? He sets himself apart from, from everybody else as well. So, um, you know, look, I'm, uh, I'm excited for the show. I'm excited for the match. And um, I think people are going to be very highly entertained. I'm looking forward to it very, very much. Uh, Drake, uh, I've really enjoyed your time on the show. We're getting very close to the end here. I wanted to ask you, uh, what it's else do you my hope? bedtime. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what else do you hope to uh, uh, achieve, uh, not just in the wrestling business, but in life? Uh, you know, you're not, not even 40 years old yet. You've still got quite a lot of time left on this planet. What else do you hope to achieve? Yeah. Well, first off, I just, you know, I want to be a, a good father to my kids. I'm, I have three beautiful children and, I, and I'm blessed in that regard. And I, you know, I have so many good memories already with them. And so, you know, that's what I want to be remembered as somebody that, you know what I mean? I, that could always be dependable. You know what I mean? I want to be, you know, just somebody can be reliable, dependable, hardworking. And I always want to give back uh, to people that help me and then pay, pay it forward uh, to the next generation as well, as far as, as far as in wrestling. Um, and, uh, you know, no matter what life throws my way, man, I'm just going to keep rolling. And uh, so uh, it's an exciting time and I'm grateful, man. And I'm, you know, part of me is still that, that young 17 year old kid that got in the business and just wants, just wants to be in a ring. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, also the part of me has like, I feel like I, I got to show people what's up, 
You know what I mean? I got to show them that like, hey, however you feel about me, you know, how I exited WWE, whatever, but like, I'm very freaking younger and like, I'm one of the best to ever do this. And I'm going to show you that I am. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's where we're at this, at this stage in the game. Excellent, Drake. It's time to get to the final segment of the show here where we just find out about your favorite things. It's supposed to be like a quick fire question for a quick fire answer. Then you can get yourself to bed. Uh, (laughs) uh, The first one is, who's your favorite professional wrestler of all time? Sabu. Excellent choice. Uh, Do you have a favorite opponent over the years? Adam Cole. Very nice choice. Uh, do you have a, uh, this is a hard one for a lot of people, but uh, one match, uh, if anyone wanted to ask you for a match of yours to, to showcase what you're all about, what would be your favorite match that you would show someone? Yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll give you three in each genre of my life. I wanted for each part of my wrestling career. Favorite wrestling wrestling match was against, uh, against Adam Cole. Uh, I want to say March, 2013 PWG all-star weekend night two uh, that that's my favorite wrestling match that I that I ever had. Uh, as far as as far as uh, death matches, um, favorite death match that I had, I would have to say it was with uh, Yuko Miyamoto in uh, in Big Japan in a, a death match Survivor League. It was a light tube scaffold match. Uh, it's really rare. It's it's I don't because it was on just TV, so it's not on a bunch of DVDs. So you got, might kind of have to search out for it. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, and then the uh, – as far as my favorite refing match that I ever did, um, I ref DIY versus The Revival at NXT TakeOver, in the second one in Brooklyn in 2016. Um, just those guys just really personified what tag team wrestling is all about. And I was just grateful to be there in a sold out Barclay center in Brooklyn, New York, being the fifth man in the ring and being a part of the, the beautiful story that those guys told. Very good answers there, Drake. Uh, finally getting away from wrestling. Now we finally don't have to talk about it. Favorite book. You know what? It's one of the books that I'm reading right now. It's called strong father, strong daughters. Um, and so just kind of a motivation, you need to be, you know, be your daughter's hero. My daughter's getting older. And so um, I got to kind of like navigate my relationship with her. She's not, you know, my little princess anymore. She's going to love kids. So uh, this, is a, this is a really good one. I, I really like Strong Father, Strong Daughters. Excellent. Um, favorite TV show? Oh, um, man, I, I, I don't get the opportunity to watch a lot of tv but okay people wrestling people are probably gonna hate me but i i and it's sad a lot of the stories are sad but i really love dark side of the ring i think it's my favorite show i i think just because they go into such detail and the dramatizations and the reenactments i i i don't know it's just and again look you know a lot of stories are terribly sad and tragic but i think just the production and the way that they tell the stories it's pretty fascinating to me. So Dark Side Absolutely. of the Ring. No, that's a great answer. Dark Side uh, of the Ring or anytime baseball's on. I love baseball. Wonderful. Uh, do you have a favorite film? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Sandlot. Oh, one of my Classic. favorites. I watched it about a month or two ago with my eight-year-old son, who's an avid baseball player. 
uh, coach's team. And it, it, it was just as cool to me in 2022 as it was when I first watched it in 1993. <laughs> in fact, it's even better. You appreciate it even more. I love the Sandlot. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful movie. Uh, yeah. Getting away from the arts now here, Drake. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Yes, I do. Uh, um, quesadillas. <laughs> Excellent choice. Uh, quesadillas, quesadillas with... and then uh, tied with smoothies. I love a good smoothie. Mm, very nice. Um, favorite place to eat on the road? Uh, Subway or Smoothie King. Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite beverage? You know, you're thirsty. What, what will be something that's your go-to? Uh, besides water, uh, yeah, sparkling water. I love the sparkling bubbly water. Yeah, sparkling bubbly water or um, uh, sugar-free Gatorade. Very nice. Uh, the second last one here, Drake. It could be perceived as being a naughty question, but you can get a very meaningful answer out of it. So it doesn't... It sounds like it's it's it means something else, but really it could be meaningful. Favorite female body part? You see a good looking lady, you know, where will Drake Younger's eyes go to first? <laughs> uh yeah, you the the behind. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Don Morocco also said that he was a he was yeah, a nice man. Yeah. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, and the final one here, Drake. I don't think you've said one curse word on this show, but the final question is your favorite curse word. Mm, I'm a big gosh darn it guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, when when the time is right, when I'm really really upset, uh, I will I will drop an f bomb every now and again. It's yeah, it's not off not off. It's the situation has to call for it. But yeah, <laughs> I don't I, I don't really like saying them, so I don't have a favorite one. But I guess that's the one. Whenever I am in traffic or I get a bad news <laughs> or something like that. That's the that's the one because it, it like rears up and it's like you know what yeah. I mean and it just comes out so powerful you know <laughs> what I mean but don't like to say them at all but if I had to say it that's the one <laughs> no that's fair enough and it's probably the number one answer for that question on this show but Drake Younger thank you so much for your time uh, you are a gentleman you have told so many great stories you uh, just. I was enthralled with every answer that you had for every single question that I had. It really means a lot to me to have uh, just had some of your time on this show. Uh, so I want to thank you for so much here from me all the way in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. You've got a fan Perth. over here in me. You're in Perth. The West I'm in Perth. I have my, my good friends of mine. I haven't talked to in a long time. They're from Perth. Uh, TMDK. Uh, oh. Shane and Mikey. I've loved working with them in WWE, incredible wrestlers. But yeah, the, uh, I, there was a period of time. I'm sorry to sidebar real quick, but it's okay. I travel. I travel. We rode together in NXT when they first moved to the States from Australia. Um, I, they would ride in my car to the Florida towns and like, I'd like show them around a little, and everything like that. And so really got to know those guys a lot. And, you know, I was always fast. All the countries that I wrestled in, I never, I never got to go to Australia. Uh, I mean, I've been everywhere else, like literally everywhere else except Australia. So uh, they were, you know, I was fascinated with Perth because I used to live in California and, and Mikey was telling me like, you know, Perth is kind of like, it's got a California vibe about it. So uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool that you're from the same town as, as TMDK. <laughs> yeah, TM6, bro. <laughs> they were called in WWE, yeah. 
Yeah, bro. I've known Shane since I was about 14 years old. So that's we, awesome. We go way back. But uh, <laughs> uh, again, man. Drake, thank you so much for your time on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Take care, man. God bless. Thank you, Drake. And thank all of you out there for joining me for the Insider's Edge podcast here with my interview with Drake Younger. And we will see you down the road. Thank you.